0: Heavenly Father, we ask you to make more of your word than I can, because it's your word. Uh, we ask you, Lord, to make your word speak where perhaps my understanding or might diminish its value. We ask, Lord, that the outcome of this morning, and, and uh, looking and listening to your word, and thinking and praying about it together, we ask that the outcome is... Um, Glory to your name, not unto us, Lord, not unto us, but on your, unto your name give glory. Uh, because in royal robes we don't deserve. We live to serve your majesty. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At the end of this month, we have a covenant service. It's... Um, something that we've agreed to do at a church meeting. We've thought about it for a long, long time. Um, We're doing it because membership and it's not just here. I've been hearing for years, I've been a missioner uh, before I retired. A missioner um, throughout the southwest and churches all over the southwest and then when I went up to Didcot to meetings up at Didcot the same thing was coming back from all over the country. How people were getting more and more dissatisfied with the Baptist concept of membership church membership because it seemed to have become just a formality um, a tradition that had lost any value we're going to have a covenant service because we want to put the meat back on what it means to belong together and serve God together, to up the ante. And so over the next few weeks, leading up to that covenant service, uh, we're going to be thinking about covenant. Today, the job that I've been given is speaking to you about covenant as we find it in the Old Testament you will understand that it will be a very brief survey of covenant as we find it in the Old Testament. But let's remind ourselves that we have a Bible divided into two parts. We call it the Old Testament, and we call it the New Testament. Or, Old Covenant and New Covenant... Our God is a God who is a covenant-making God. We call him the living God, and we call on him, and we prayed to him together. It was just so wonderful to hear the volume of voices today, praying the one prayer together with a heartfelt amen at the end of the Lord's Prayer. We call out to God because we know he is God who does hear who does answer, we've heard a fantastic testimony of God working in the life of a family going through real desperate hardship and difficulty over this year. He's the living God. He's not like the so-called gods of the nations. He's the living God. And what we discover from the outset in the Old Testament is that God makes covenant with his people. Now, he makes covenant with his people because he is the God he is. He has made mankind in his own image. In his own image, he has created us. When he, the scripture tells us that in the earliest days of man's understanding of God, God walked with Adam in the garden. It was relationship. Not because God needs the relationship. God, we understand, though it's a mystery to us, our God is one God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit... Somehow or another, in a way, which almost sounds heretical to say, our one God is a society within himself. It's not that he needs us, but that in his awesome wisdom in creating mankind, he's done it that we may relate and interact. That is awesome. So God makes covenant with his people. The Hebrew word covenant, and there will be people here who can correct my misunderstanding of the pronunciation, is berit or berit or something. Is that right? Berit. Thank you. Hooray. But it means a bond. It's a bond relationship where two people in covenant are bonded with each other. Marriage is the most usual example because when two people marry the two become one flesh. The two become one. We are bonded together in our marriage and To go off after another woman or another man is breaking that covenant and it's a disaster. Because covenant is a bonded relationship. David and uh, Jonathan were best pals but they covenanted together to watch out for one another and their two hearts were knit as one. So when we're talking about God making covenant with his people, we're talking about bonding, if you like, a bonded relationship with God, but it's two-way. It's two-way. And we're talking about God devoting himself to the people with whom he's making covenant. Now our God is Almighty God. In the Old Testament, we read of God making covenants with individuals. He made a covenant with Noah. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with David. We read of a new covenant which supersedes an old covenant and we live under the new covenant. More of that another week, you see. But the covenant... Which the prophets most generally refer back to is the covenant we read of that God made at Sinai with his people Israel. And that's what we're going to look at to pull out some aspects of covenant today. Remember, we're thinking in an Old Testament context, but we're thinking about the same God whose character isn't changed, whose nature is the same, whose holiness is undiminished. His expectations are of holiness now as they were of then, because even under the new covenant, Paul tells us, without holiness no one will see the Lord. So we're about to hear about an almighty God, who is awesomely full of mercy and generosity, and forgiveness. But a God who is holy and is strong about right and wrong. And a God who asks for utter devotion from the people that he has first rescued and is devoting himself to. This is the same God. God initiates covenant with his people. We don't read, I'm convinced that this is so, because I haven't read the whole Bible front to back just for this sermon. But you won't find anywhere in the Bible where human beings, a people, or individuals initiate a covenant with God. God is God, and he initiates the covenant. So, and I should be reading from Exodus about the Sinai covenant that we've talked about, that I've mentioned. Moses, this is chapter 19, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the house of Jacob what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to bring, you are to speak to the Israelites. Those words, a kingdom of priests and holy nation, do you recognize them from the New Testament as well? Peter quotes them when he's talking about the body, the church, those who through faith have trusted in Christ and become children of God. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a king of priests and a holy nation. Now then, I shouldn't mention it, but I will. This throws up a whole host of questions, which in two theology colleges, I've heard students arguing about ad nauseam. I won't even mention what the subjects are, but you're probably already thinking of some of them. The point is that God takes the initiative in calling people to himself, and God takes the initiative in making covenant with a people. The covenant under which we are so blessed in our relationship with God, the new covenant, that is God's initiative. So covenant comes from God's initiative and it's a result of sheer grace. I brought you out of Egypt. God brought me up from the pit. What did God bring you out of in order to bring you here into this company of believers? God takes this saving wonderful gathering initiative and calls the people to himself and then calls them his treasured possession. We see exactly the thing in the New Testament because we read in Paul that God lavishes grace upon his church. God lavishes it upon his treasured possession. So the first thing, that God inspires and initiates covenant. The second thing, which is self-explanatory really, but we'll say it anyway, is that the partners in this covenant are unequal. God is God. And his people are disobedient, sinful, wayward, ignorant, um, fail to recognise the mystery of his character, are distracted from him again and again by foolish, really, sort of abstractions. I mean, just in your prayers, how often... Can a shopping list get in the way of your fervent prayers? How often can a noise outside distract you from your worship? This is very unequal partnership. Almighty God and us the creature. In chapter 19 again of Exodus, we read this. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Make them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows, not a hand is to be laid upon them. That sounds very cruel to us. But remember, we're talking about God who is so awesome, a maker of heaven and earth, out of whom all righteousness proceeds, in whom there is no darkness and no sin. We're talking about him saying, you can come near. You're welcome to come near. Please come near but be careful how you come near. This is an unequal partnership. Hello, it's through there. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah. In the covenants which God makes, he sets the terms. In chapter 19 of verse 20, the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. There we have unequal partners. But then Moses goes up onto the mountain. And on the mountain, he gives him the Ten Commandments. God sets the terms. Um, It's a shame, and I've fallen into this trap so many times myself, that because we're used to New Covenant and our Father in Heaven, there has been a tendency at times to diminish God. To our dear daddy. Like a child can wheedle its way round its dad. When it doesn't want to do what its mum wants to do. You know how it works? (laughs) Our dear daddy. We can wrap you round our little finger. If I pray this prayer. Our God is an awesome God. We sang it, didn't we? Our God is an awesome God. And he sets the terms. And the terms which he sets are all embracing. They cover the whole of life. You read the Ten Commandments and they cover individual life. They cover religious life. They cover social life. They cover individual morality and action. They cover the inner life of thoughts. God sets the terms of covenant which themselves are all embracing and embrace the whole of life. And he calls for holiness. And that sounds harsh to us in the 21st century. But is it harsh? That God should be angry at somebody who commits adultery or somebody who looks at porn, which, uh, or somebody that, somebody that steals or somebody that tells a lie or somebody who rips off with, with their expense account. It sounds so harsh, doesn't it, when everybody else around us seems to be doing this or that. But God just loves Goodness. God delights in the pleasure and the joy and the cleanness of goodness. So that Paul in the New Testament, the, Jesus reminds us that there are only two great commandments, to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbor as ourself. And Paul says... Love is the fulfilling of the law. Love does good to its nature. Love is gentle and kind, and it is merciful, and it is thoughtful, and it is helpful. So God calls for holiness... And if we just see it in terms of God is angry with this or that, somehow or another we've misunderstood the nature of our God. Yes, he is wrathful at the wickedness which messes up your life and this nation's and this world's. But it's because he loves goodness. And you yourself know, and your children know, even when your children have been absolutely messing you about and then suddenly they see light and they turn and they do what you asked them to do before you even said it again you turn around and your heart melts towards them doesn't it and you sweep them up in your arms and you tell them an extra bedtime story because your children are being so good because it brings such peace to the household and relaxes the tension and makes life not only bearable but actually enjoyable God is a holy God because he loves goodness he's a good God But he sets the terms and they are all embracing. Covenant was sealed by an oath, a promise from God and Paul tells us that God's word is as good as done. God says, has one of the Old Testament um, prophets somewhere says, Has God not said it? And will he not do it? Jesus is the living word of God. And Paul tells us that all the promises of God are yes and amen through Jesus. Because God's Word, he binds himself to his Word in this covenant relationship. But then we bind ourselves by our Word. We did it in baptism. Again, more of that another week. But the Israelites, Exodus chapter 24... And verse 3. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. This is a unified people with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Obedience is better than sacrifice, we read in the scripture. If you love me, said Jesus, you will keep my commands. And the oath which the Israelites made was the pledge to obey. Well, I thought that was mine for a minute. <laughs> pledge was to obey the lord to be the people that he'd called them to be to live as his people and then it was sealed with sacrifice a sacrifice was made and moses sprinkled the blood of a sacrifice on the altar and then upon the people the blood is the seal of the covenant. And yet, within eight chapters, Israel have reneged on their pledge. We read that Moses had gone up the mountain. And they've been too long there for their patience. And the people down below asked Aaron to make for them an idol. So they gave him all their bits of gold jewellery and stuff and put it in the fire. And guess what? Just out of the fire came this golden calf. Just like that. Well, at least that's how they told it to Moses. We, we threw it in the fire and out came this golden calf. Huh. and Moses was angry and God was angry so soon the people had reneged and yet what we read is and this comes out in God's covenant relationship throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament he is a merciful God Chesed which means loving kindness is associated with covenant again and again throughout the Old Testament. God's loving kindness, his pity upon a weak people, he pities us and so demonstrates mercy. And even though just eight chapters after this solemn occasion of a sealing of an awesome covenant and a relationship where God has pledged himself to the people and they have pledged themselves to him and they have now utterly failed, God gives them another chance. Moses, in his anger, breaks the tablets upon which the Ten Commandments are written. Not a very good thing to do. But God gives him another two tablets and they start again. Your loving kindness endures forever, Lord God. Your mercy is ever upon your people. Even in the Old Testament, but not in Exodus, we read whoever confesses and forsakes his sin shall find mercy. And God demonstrated mercy to his people because within this covenant God has pledged himself to the people. He never breaks covenant. He never has. And he always is there to restore covenant relationships. He's the God of the second chance, which just shows how extraordinarily generous and unlike the fearsome gods of the nations. True God is the God of the second chance with these people, the God of the second chance with with, um, Jonah, the God of the opportunity to Judas at the Last Supper. This is our God who makes covenant with us through his son, Jesus Christ. But we must look at that again another week. The thing is, honor God. Who he is.